to 14. And we're going to pick up uh, the next chunk of Mark um, together. Mark 14 and we're at verse 66. It's page 1022. Great. Let's pray together, shall we, as we turn to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've just been singing um, and thinking about the great news of Jesus, the great news of the gospel. Father, please help us to understand. Please help us to, to have alert minds. Help us to be ready to listen to your word this afternoon. Please show us Jesus, we pray. Amen. Great. Mark chapter 14. I'm going to read from verse 66, um, and then we're going to think about it together. So verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around them, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. These are are sobering chapters of the Bible. And this afternoon, I want us to think about a condition that I reckon all of us experience. It's what I want to call grace no, it's, sorry, it's what I want to call shame avoidance. Shame, I am a serial shame avoider. I, I make it one of my goals in life to do all I can to avoid shame. I don't like being shamed. I like people to feel, think well of me. Now, this might surprise you, but this affects the clothes that I choose to wear. <laughs> I, come on. Be gentle. We've only just started. This affects the clothes you choose to wear. We don't tend to wear things that are going to make us look stupid. That doesn't tend to be our aim anyway. I was talking to my uh, boys earlier today, one of them who should remain nameless. I asked him what makes him ashamed, and I I got his permission to tell you this. He immediately said, when mum cuts my hair. That was was it. In fact, to the point that last time, last time mum cut his hair... Uh, he went to school and got in big trouble because it was a not allowed haircut. And he, was, and he would not say, my mum cut my hair, because he would rather be punished than admit that mum cut his hair. <laughs> you see, we, we try to avoid shame. We do it in all sorts of ways. And what I want to try and show you this afternoon is that that is what is going on in Mark chapter 14. Now, don't forget, as we go through these chapters, um, it's becoming increasingly clear that Jesus is going to the cross and he's going to die alone. He's going to do it on his own. We've seen that over and over again. It's really, 
It's really struck me this in Mark, more clearly than I've ever seen it before, the way that as Jesus heads to the cross, people just fall away from him, so that he alone is left on his own, standing, nailed to a cross, dying to save the world. It's crystal clear that Jesus goes to the cross alone. And we're going to see this afternoon, and this is my first big point, I've got two big points, dead simple. My first big point is this, even the best will fail. Even the best will fail. Even the best of his disciples will fall away. You see, Peter is undoubtedly one of the best. It doesn't take much to think through if you know anything of the story of Mark's gospel to know that Peter really is up there. He he ranks pretty high among the disciples. He was the first one to be called by Jesus. Peter was there when Jesus, in the boat, calmed a storm. Can Can you imagine In the massive storm, Peter was there when Jesus stood at the front and said, quiet, be still. He was there. He saw it. Peter was one of the three who went up on the mountain and saw Jesus transfigured and changed and saw a glimpse of the true glory. Peter was there. He saw it. Peter was the first of the disciples to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter was the first. Over and over again, we see Peter as one of the best. And as you follow on the story, Peter is going to be the rock upon which Jesus built his church. Peter is going to be the leader of the church. He's going to be the preacher of the gospel. He's one of the best. And I want you to know this afternoon that even the best fail. Even the best will fail. And it's going to be a reality check for us. I think it will cause us to stop. It will cause us to examine our own hearts and our lives. You see, we can begin to think, perhaps we think we're strong enough, perhaps we think we're heroes, that we can do it on our own. We're going to see that Peter stands as a graphic picture. Human resolve is not enough. It crumbles so quickly away. And Peter's one of the best. So we're going to trace through what happens to Peter, and we're going to try and understand it uh, together. And it starts uh, in a place that some of you may be quite close to right now. It starts in a sleepy place. (laughs) So come back one page to to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's Mark chapter 14 um, and verse 37. I want to trace this through. We're going to now look at Peter. We're going to try and understand how is it that one of the best came to fail so spectacularly. Let's trace it through. They're praying in the garden. Jesus has told his disciples uh, in verse 34, stay here and keep watch. Jesus is praying. But in verse 37, he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, you've got to pray. Simon and Peter is the same person. Simon, Peter, you've got to pray. Peter sleeps. Three times he falls asleep in the garden. Sleepy, that's where it starts. And he's sleeping in the garden. Let's trace it on through. Come now to verse 53. Jesus has now been arrested. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance. 
Here's the second thing, right? Sleepy leads to distance. Under this failure of Peter, even the best will fail. Sleepy leads to distance. Do you know the first thing we see Peter? Do you know the first thing we see Peter doing in Mark's gospel? Following Jesus. Jesus said, Come follow me. Peter left everything and went to follow Jesus. He left his fishing nets, he left his everything to follow. But now do you see he follows at a distance? Do you see now there's a distance between Peter and Jesus? Peter no longer is joyfully, closely following Jesus. He's now hanging back. Why? Why the change? Why has the joyful follower of Jesus become a distant follower of Jesus? Why? Okay, imagine a um, a five-year-old little girl. Let's call her Betty. Because there aren't enough Bettys around. And if we don't call our children Betty, then the name's going to die out. So uh, five-year-old Betty is walking along the road. Um, And she's holding her father's hand, happily skipping along. And her father is singing at the top of his voice. And she's so happy. And she happily skips along and looks adoringly at Daddy. And Daddy looks adoringly at her. It's so joyful. Ten years later. You get the point. Betty is not so joyful. Betty now says, Dad, could you walk a little bit further ahead? Could you stop the singing? Could you change my name? Could we, could we just move this thing along a little bit? You see, it's become a shameful thing. I want to suggest that's what's happened to Peter. Not that he's grown up but that he suddenly twigged that following Jesus is going to bring shame. A few weeks ago, we saw Peter, okay? And Peter was saying to Jesus, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. Remember that, if you were here? He was so clear. Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. Here's the point. I want to get this so clear. Peter, I think Peter was willing to go down in a blaze of glory but he was not willing to go down in a fizzle of weakness. He was up for a blaze of glory. He was up for something heroic. He was up for something magnificent, but he was not up for shame. That's been Peter's problem right through the gospel. You see, when Peter first said to Jesus, Jesus, you're the king, you're the Messiah, Jesus said, and I'm going to die on a cross. And Peter said, no, No. No, let's do the glory thing. Let's do the magnificent, heroic thing. Let's not do the shame thing. And Jesus said to him, no, you you have in mind the things of men, not the thing of God. Human beings love glory, love greatness, not shame. Our human obsession is with greatness. We want to be great. We want to be seen to be great. We want to make things great again. We love greatness. Who would ever run for president with this slogan? Make things weak again. Make things shameful. Doesn't work. Because we love greatness. And to be honest, in this moment, Jesus just doesn't look that great. 
Jesus, at the very moment where Peter is in the courtyard, Jesus is being spat on and punched and falsely accused. You see why Peter's put a distance? He's following at a distance. To associate with Jesus now means to associate with his shame. And so Peter holds Jesus at arm's length. That's shame. But now look what happens, okay? Because there's distance. So sleepiness has led to distance. But now look, uh, we're still still, um, in verse... 54. We're coming to our passage. Uh, uh, still in verse 54 of chapter 14. Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself. Uh, flick over to our passage. Verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. What's Peter doing? He's warming himself. As Jesus is being spat on and punched and falsely accused, Peter is sorting himself out. It's a vivid picture, isn't it? He's seeking his own comfort. He's seeking to warm himself. Can Peter hear what's happening upstairs? We don't know. But they're very close by. Is it possible that Peter can even hear the punches and the accusations that are being thrown at Jesus. But Peter takes the seat of comfort. Rather than a life of self-denial and suffering, Peter has switched to a life of warming himself. But then the story moves on. The sleepy disciple has become the distant disciple, has become the warming himself disciple, and still it moves on. To the evasive disciple. Can you, can you see this with me? One of the servant girls of the high priest came by. This is so poignant this. It's a servant girl. It's hardly someone of great power. Hardly a terrifyingly ominous person. Hardly a threat to him. And yet she sees him. She scrutinizes him. She looks at him closely. She says, You're, you were with him. You were with that Nazarene, Jesus. Why does she call him the Nazarene? I'll tell you why. If you know anything about Nazareth, we, Nazareth, we tend to think, oh, Nazareth, that's a nice place. That's where Jesus grew up. No, if you'd lived in Jesus' day, you would know that Nazareth was a town in the middle of nowhere that was full of nobodies. It was the butt of everyone's jokes. Could anything good ever come from Nazareth? What a joke. So she's basically saying, you were with that loser, Jesus. I was trying to think of the equivalent in in the UK, but it's such a dangerous game to play. (laughs) We're not not playing that game. I once tried it and got in a lot of trouble. So we're going to stick with Nazareth. We can all get that. A shameful place. You see, that's, that's the thing that Peter's struggling to cope with, the disgrace. But look, look what he says. He, he is deliberately evasive at first. So he says, he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out to the entrance. 
Do you see? His first response is, oh, I haven't got a gun. don't know what you're talking about. I haven't got a clue. Mm, not sure. Uh, I'm going over here. You see, he, he tries to avoid. The sleepy disciple has this, this sleepy, distant disciple who's, so, who's become this kind of shamed disciple now is evasive and trying to avoid the question. But this servant girl just kind of follows him. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a little child following you around, just kind of, you were with him. <laughs> Go away. He's trying to be evasive, but he gets more and more intense. And, and then halfway through uh, verse 70, after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And then we move to the last stage, which is the denial. Emphatic denial. He calls down curses. He calls down curses on himself. He's basically saying, may I go to hell if I am lying to you. I do not know this man. It's quite a fall, isn't it? Quite a fall. Peter, Peter has placed himself in the place of curse. That's what he's called down on himself. By distancing himself from Jesus, by moving away from Jesus, by denying Jesus, all that is left is curse. That is where Peter is. Even the best will fail. Even Peter. I just want to stop there for a second and let's just try and land this. Let's just try and think about this for ourselves. I wonder if any of this sounds familiar to you. I wonder if you can hear any of the echoes in our own hearts. I wonder if we're sleepy disciples. If you're trusting Jesus here this afternoon, perhaps we're not very alert. Perhaps we're just breezing through life going, oh, yeah, it's going to be all right. It's fine. Whatever. I'll be all right. I'll be fine. We're sleepy. We're not, we're not alert. We're not ready. We're not praying. We're not seeking him. We're not depending upon him. And as we sleep, as we rely on ourselves, how quickly we become distant from him. We place a distance between ourselves and him. Like the sulky teenager who says, I don't want to get too close. We're like that with Jesus. We hold Jesus at arm's length. We say, yeah, yeah, I'm interested in Jesus, but as long as he's away from me over there somewhere. We distance ourselves from him. You know, often people think that God is the one who's distant from us. No, the Bible says that we are the ones who distance ourselves from him. Human nature wants to move away from God. We fear that getting too close to Jesus might harm us. It might harm our reputation. It might harm our ability to enjoy this life. And and then we become disciples who love to warm ourselves. We love to sort out our own desires, our own pleasure. We love the comforts of this life. We love to have a bank balance. We love to, you know, we love to have money that we can spend, that we can enjoy, that we can make sure that we're okay, that everything's okay, and that we're warm. And as we do that, we will become, perhaps even become evasive. When people ask us about church, ask us about Jesus, we'll be sort of, well, you know, I'm not really sure. 
And perhaps even for some of us this afternoon, we're in that place where we're saying, I don't know the man. I've moved so far away from him. I want to say to us this, I, 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 I want this to stand as a warning to us this afternoon. It is easy for us to be shame avoiders. Shame avoiders. Can I just, I really want to apply this carefully, okay? Because I think it's easy for us just to go, oh, yeah, that's nice. Let me just try, try and apply this in two ways, very specifically. I think we're shame avoiders when we want to be impressive. Think about your workplace. Maybe you want to be impressive. You want people to think you're great. You want people to be impressed by you. And you think, well, hang on a second. If I associate with Jesus, they might not like me very much. They might not think I'm such a great person. And so we try to impress. We try to impress people. That's shame avoidance. And that can happen within churches. Okay, This is, this is really challenging me this week. It can be really easy to want to be a church that's big and impressive. And here's what I've noticed. When I talk to um, my friends, so I go to a running club. When I talk to my friends about church, you know what I normally say? I normally say, well, you know, we started 18 months ago and we've, we've grown. We've got loads of people who are, you know, there's like 5,000 people there. <laughs> and uh, I don't say that. But, you know, do you see what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to tell people how amazing we are. Yeah, and we do this, you know, stuff with these people and we try and help this and we're involved in this project and we're trying to do this. So easy. Because actually what I don't want to say is we're followers of Jesus who believe that Jesus is king and who believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world because they're going to go, you do what? And then I look stupid. But if I can say to them, actually, we run a homeless mill. It's really, really great. They're going to go, oh, that's really nice. That's lovely. (laughs) Yeah, it is. You see, there's no shame in that. And I want to challenge us. I want to say to us as a church, are we willing to be a church who are really honest about the fact that we follow Jesus and bear shame with him? Or do we just want to be known as nice people who do nice things? And then he goes, oh, you're really nice. Pursuing the impressive, or, or, or pursuing comfort. And maybe we're not interested in being impressive, we just want to be nice, we just want to be comfortable, we just want to have a nice life. We just want to... Are you pursuing just a comfortable life? You know, I just want to have a nice life, a nice home, I want to have nice holidays, I want to do nice things, I want to go out for nice meals, I want to have nice friends. I want to warm myself. I think we need to feel this. I mean, to feel the urgency of it. Peter says... He calls down a curse. To be in that place is to be under a curse. Okay. Enough of that. Because here's what we need to do now. What do you do with that? Because if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't feel vaguely guilty, then you're a better follower of Jesus than I am. Even the best will fail. What do we do with it? And it'd be easy, wouldn't it, for this to be like a, a, a warning to kids. You know, Come on, you need to try harder. You know, like, like when parents say to their kids, if you don't look both ways when you cross the road, you get smacked by a bus. Sort of thing. <laughs> I don't know if parents say that. I don't know. 
But it'd be like, it'd be easy to read the Bible and say, this is saying, yes, if you deny Jesus, you're going to get smacked by a bus, so don't do it. That's not the message here. This is the bit I'm excited about, okay? So, uh, this is, this is fantastic. I want to show you, six, I want to take you home, six, take you forward, six weeks. Okay, I want, to, I want to take you, come with me, right? Let's go six weeks forward from this point and, and go to Acts chapter 3. Go to Acts chapter 3. We're just going to go forward, it's about six weeks, like just six weeks, that's not long. Acts chapter 4, sorry, page 1095. Acts chapter 4. Look at the heading of Acts chapter 4. Peter before the Sanhedrin. Who were they? Same people who had accused, condemned, spat on, punched Jesus. Six weeks. So it's only six weeks later. Right. Have a look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Whoa! What's happened to Peter? Peter, who wouldn't even look a servant girl in the face and say, I follow Jesus. Go over one uh, one page more. Two pages. To the end of Acts chapter 5. I just want you to see this. Acts chapter 5. Look at the very end. Um, Verse verse 40. His speech... um, That's one of the Sanhedrin. Persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. Right, notice this carefully. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Not going out saying, hey, look how heroic we are, but saying, we've been counted worthy to be disgraced. What happened? What happened between Peter saying, I don't know the man, I'm under a curse, and Peter saying there's no other name given by which you can be saved? What, what happened? Because if you can twig, if you can work out what happened from there to there, then you discover how we can be disciples who don't. Let Jesus down. And this is my second big point. First big point, even the best will fail. Second big point, failure isn't the end. Failure isn't the end. How did that change happen? Right, come back to our story. We're going to work it through now. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to work through the steps. Um, Stick with it. It's going to be fun. Um, Peter's just denied Jesus. What's the first thing that happened? Verse 72. Back in Mark 14, verse 72. Immediately, the cock crowed the second time. Now, come on. Let's use our brains. Let's think. 
I always thought that that was just like, a, oh, that's interesting. Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. What does the cock crowing do? What does it do? It wakes him up. Peter is in a place of denial. Peter is on a route to denial and curse. He is heading for God's curse. That's where he is. And then the cock crows and it wakes up this sleepy disciple. As soon as the cock crows, look what it says. Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. Jesus said to his disciple, you are going to fail, but the cock will crow. And that cock will wake you up. It's the alarm clock that wakes Peter up. Failure isn't the end. And as the cock crows, Peter remembers the words of Jesus. And suddenly he realizes what he's done. And he breaks down and he weeps. Tears of sorrow over his failure. Tears of sorrow over his denial. Peter's weeping. But as you read on in the story, and we're going to see this in the next few weeks, some extraordinary things happen before Acts chapter 3. Jesus goes to a cross. He's nailed there. He hangs and dies. Do you know what um, Hebrews chapter 12 says about the cross? It said, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was willing to be shamed. He was hung on a cross, naked, shamed. And as he died, the curse that should have fallen on Peter fell on Jesus. So how is it that Peter isn't under God's curse? Because that's why Jesus went to a cross. Okay, so that's the first step. That's the curse dealt with by the death of Jesus. But it's not just the death, because three days later, Jesus is alive again. He's risen from the dead. Jesus is the powerful, all-conquering king. And then Jesus ascends to heaven and pours out his spirit. And that is how Peter is able to stand and say, there's no other name. There's no other name. The death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the pouring out of the Spirit is what changes Peter. Peter becomes a new creation. Peter's transformed. So if you're sitting here um, feeling guilty or feeling like, oh, I'm so rubbish. I'm I'm so ashamed of Jesus at work. I'm so ashamed of Jesus in my family. I'm so ashamed of Jesus, whatever. Here's the answer. The answer is to turn your eyes again to Jesus. Maybe today is the day that Jesus wants to blast a cockerel in your ears and say, wake up. Wake up. Remember my words. Weep over your sin. Weep over your failure. But know that I went to a cross to take the curse you deserve. I've risen again. I've poured out my spirit. And he will give you strength to live for me so that you will not be ashamed. That's what we need. That's what we need. And that is why today 
If we're going to be unashamed disciples, we cannot do it in our own strength. So here's my challenge for you. Not, will you go into this week saying, I must be brave. My challenge for you is, will you go into this week saying, Holy Spirit, please make me brave. Holy Spirit, please make me unashamed. What a great thing. Imagine you prayed that every day this week. Imagine every day you woke up and said, Holy Spirit, I do not want to be ashamed of Jesus today. Give me an opportunity today to be unashamed of Jesus. And then when your work colleague says to you, what did you do at the weekend? Rather than saying, I went to church. Went to church? Why did you go to church? Well, because we do homeless things and it's really nice. Instead we say, no, I went to church because I followed Jesus. And let me say, it is terrific that we do homeless outreach. It's terrific that we do these things. It's terrific that we care for the poor, but we care for the poor because we love Jesus. And if we don't tell people we love Jesus, then we're liars. We want to be bold, unashamed. So here's, I'm not asking you this week. Can you hear me, right? Hear me really clearly. I'm not asking you to talk to anyone about Jesus this week. I'm not asking you to be brave this week. I'm not asking you to be unashamed of Jesus. I'm asking you this. Will you pray that the Holy Spirit would make you courageous and bold? And then, as you trust Jesus, as you trust his power, will you look for opportunities to speak in his power? Perhaps today, the reason you came to church is because Jesus wants to sound that cockerel in your ears and say, come on, it's no good being a distant disciple. It's no good being a distant Christian, a sleepy Christian. Because ultimately, it leads to a place of denial. We need to be all in. And that means asking him for the power to change us. And as we, li- as we lift our eyes, as we look to Jesus, we see the one who was not ashamed, who scorned the shame of the cross. And can I say to you, and this might sound really weird, but if you do experience shame for following Jesus, I think you'll find joy there. <laughs> Peter did. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt But there's joy. There's true, true joy. Because following Jesus, choosing to deny yourself now, actually stores up for you a greater joy than you ever know, a greater glory. So we're going to pray together now and and have a moment just to think about this, a moment to think about perhaps the ways in which we have failed like Peter perhaps take those five those five words sleepy distant warming himself evasive denial think about how those apply to you where where, where you fall into those and then will you pray that Jesus would transform you and if you're here and you're not a Christian then let me say to you as clearly as I can we are not ashamed of Jesus we're not ashamed of him 
Because Jesus is the one who died to save. He took the curse. And you need to follow him. So let's pray together now, and then we're going to uh, celebrate communion, uh, the Lord's table together, um, and remember Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we read words like this, and, and I guess all of us can see um, ways in our lives where we distance ourselves from you, where we push you away where we live to warm ourselves, and we want to look impressive, when we're evasive in our answers, where even perhaps we flat out deny you in the way we live. Father, we ask that you'd change us. Thank you that Jesus has taken the curse. Thank you that he's risen from the dead and he's poured out his spirit, and that it is your spirit that gives us power to be unafraid, to be bold, to be unashamed. Father, please might we not be shame avoiders this week. Might we be those who are willing to embrace shame for the sake of Jesus and for the honour of his name. Amen. Well, we're going to um, use some time now to sing and to respond um, to what we've heard. Um, and in many ways, if you're if you're... If you leave church this afternoon feeling miserable and crushed, then I kind of want to say you've missed the point. The point of this is there's hope and there's joy in Jesus. And we're going to sing of that um, as we prepare for Lord's Table. It says, rejoice. Come and stand before your maker. He's the one who who saves, he's the one who forgives, he's the one who takes failures and uses them. Failures like Peter. Let's stand, let's enjoy.